what do you get when the audacious and the therapist collide? A crash course in unpolished therapy. Rachel Silvercone and Dr. Boca aren't afraid to spin out of control, tackling all the tough talk. Their weekly sesh meets at the corner of Audacity and Advice, where their wheels and yours get turned upside down. Hey, everyone. Good morning. Happy Wednesday. It is Rachel Silver Cohen. It's another episode of Unpolished Therapy. So you know what that means. I'm here with the one and only DB, Dr. Boca. Good morning. Good morning, Rachel. How are you doing? I am doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing awesome. It's really been a good week so far. And I'm really excited about today because I know we have a very special guest coming our way. We do. We do. I am so excited also. First, I just want to say thank you to you because whether we're doing therapy or we're doing unpolished therapy or we're pretending it's not real therapy, (laughs) today, I want to say you're taking one for the team because I'm being so selfish today to have this guest on. And I'm so excited. I don't want to be long-winded. I kind of want to just jump right in. So who are we talking about? Well, he is funny. He is smart. He is charismatic and charming. He is kind and loving. He has a generosity of spirit that, in my humble opinion, is unmatched. He likely will need a wheelbarrow to carry his ego out of here after this introduction, but that's okay because he has earned it. He is, Dr. Boga, the glue that has held my unpolished family together as far back as I can remember. And without further ado, he is the man, the myth, the legend. He is my dad, Dr. Howard A. Silver. Dad, welcome to Unpolished Therapy. Well, I'm thrilled to be here, Rachel. Truly, and both of you, I think it's so exciting. It's a pleasure. You can ask me anything you want. And if I don't know the answer, I'll make it up. Perfect. And I think I taught Rachel how to do that. Also, Rachel and her brother. Truly, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's actually our honor, or my honor. It is not you being selfish, Rachel, at all. I've been looking forward to this interview because I have known you for many years at this point, and I needed to meet where you came from because you are truly one of a kind. So your father and your mother must be one of a kind or even more one of a kind than you are. So thank you so much, Dr. Silva, for being here. I'm truly humbled by this. And Rachel, you have the longest birthday ever, given that I see this as an extra one birthday present to you. So we'll continue celebrating your birthday through this podcast. You got it. This is definitely a one-off and it's one that you can't put a dollar sign on. So I appreciate that. But yes, people have said to... Or actually, I should say, my dad even said to me when I suggested, Hey, dad, do you want to jump on the podcast and hang out with us for an hour? And he did say, well, who's going to listen? And why do you think anyone would would want to know? Okay. And do you remember what I said to you though, dad? No. I don't remember what I had for breakfast. (laughs) Okay, well, I am here to remind you. And what I said was, first of all, what do we have? 11 listeners. So of those 11 listeners, I'd say about more than half have the same last name as we do. So they're on our payroll, so they have to listen. (laughs) But all kidding aside, the reason I think people would care is because the people who I feel like are drawn to me and some of the projects I've done, whether it's the blog or the podcast now or whatever the other cockamamie stuff that I always kind of dip my toe into, somehow, Dad, your input and the wisdom that you've provided, or I, I should say the foundation that you've laid for all these years is so ingrained in me that 
your name does come up. I cannot tell you how many times, and Dr. Roca, you know this, something will come up or I'll see someone. And one of the first things that someone will say to me is, how are your folks? How's your dad? Fill me in. Even today, Deb, you and I, we had breakfast together. There must have been a train of old men who came over to our table that they said hello to you. And then they looked at me and they said, I got to tell you what a star your dad is. And you've got some dad. And I don't think that that ever gets old. And I want you to know how valuable that is. And and I'll tell you how I feel when I hear you and Dr. Boca talk like that. There's a couple things in my life that I didn't work at. I think in all modesty, they came natural. Things that where I was consciously aware of from day one, to be honest with myself and with situations that I was presented with. And also, just as important, you may think this is nuts, just as important is to have a sense of humor. If you don't have a sense of humor, you're lost. You have to find the humor in most everything. Of course, there are some areas, plenty of them, where you have to behave yourself. But to have a sense of humor is is a gift. And I think, I don't know who passed it down to me. I think my father more than my mother pass that down to me. And I think, Rachel, you inherited that. And we did. could look at each other. There was a man standing at our table this morning. Today. This I morning. think he had diarrhea of the mouth. He didn't shut up. You looked at me. I looked at you and we almost lost it at the table. I know. It's, so, I'm so happy you picked up on that because I caught your eye and absolutely. I knew exactly what was going through your mind. Right. And I then started to not only bite the inside of my cheek and look away, But some of my dark humor, and I know that I inherit it from you, when I'm in situations where the last thing that's appropriate (laughs) is to laugh, I have to then sit and think about the darkest, grimmest moment that you would never laugh at. Dad, I want to kind of circle back a little bit and I want to just tell the listeners, and I've said this before, we make no secret of how old you are, but I use the word old in quotations because I think old is a matter of perspective. So I ask you, I've always seen you as a guy who lives his life as a glass is half full kind of guy, right? right. Um, So now at 89 years, I'm going to let you finish the sentence. Do you view yourself 89 years old or 89 years young from both a physical, mental, and spiritual perspective? If you'll speak to that. From a physical standpoint, I'm 89 years old. There's no question about that. I take a lot of medication every day. I have severe back pain. They made efforts to correct it on a few different occasions between surgery and therapy and so forth and so on. It worked, but not great. My back, my lower back hurts most of the time, but the medication takes the edge off. My left leg isn't worth more than a dime. It really has no strength in it. That's the way I view myself physically. But I try my best. I take my medication and I just go about my business. What other two areas did you ask? I think the other areas, I'm having a good time. I view myself as a guy who gets up in the morning, if I may. I don't want to dominate this, but I want to tell you that I got up for 47 years and went to work with a smile on my face. I loved going to work. I loved it. Maybe that's why I had some degree of success. I never got up and said, oh, shit, I got to go to the office today. I loved it. I loved working on people. I loved meeting them, talking to them presenting them with treatment plans, being successful and having them accept my treatment. And I became friends with several of my patients and life was good. I just felt so good uh, 
I have a wonderful wife, wonderful children. I have nothing to regret, nothing at all. I feel very happy. And when I see people walking around with a long face and with the glass half empty and complaining about every little thing, I have no patience for them. There's not a reason in the world. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I think that's amazing. And I think that you hit on something that I always wonder. I work with this with my patients that are doing some career work is I always say to them, you have to find something you love doing. Because if you love doing it, it doesn't matter even how good you are. You're more likely to be successful at it because you enjoy it. But I do think it keeps us young when we enjoy everything that we're doing. So you're agreeing to that, which I like. I love learning wisdom. I love wisdom from the people who have done it before us so that we ourselves have more information so that we can make better decisions. So I just love your attitude. And you're just, you're like a little spring chicken. I don't know physically what you're (laughs) like because I'm not with you in the same room. But you're just in our dialogue before this, as we were setting up the technology, which I do want to get to because I think technology is a huge thing that has changed since you were a child, right? And you've kind of seen the evolution. So you are a spring chicken. And I would, if you don't mind, want to ask you a couple of questions about technology. Because I know next to nothing about it, but go okay. ahead. But that's good. I want to know about this. So, okay. you know, in a world where we are so hyper-connected as you're on Zoom right now, which you probably did not do growing up, and you probably did not have a computer or a, an iPad in front of you, and we're saturated with information at our fingertips, so convenient, and there's knowledge everywhere for us to take. Give us some more clarity on how that information overload that we get is different than the pieces of wisdom that you can give us based on your life. Well, I'm flattered that you call it pieces of wisdom. First of all, I think I have to make it clear that the word Zoom was not part of my vocabulary up until maybe seven or eight months ago when I got a call from a man who identified himself as a cousin of mine, and he said he is starting a cousin's club. And I don't know how he got my name or number or knew anything about me, but invited me to join his cousin's club, which is going to be on Zoom. He gave me the information. I had to have someone come to my house and show me how to use Zoom, which I'm still very slow. I the numbers to hook on to it every every week and so That's forth. okay. I have problems with that. My wife helps me with that. So even a telephone is a pain in the neck. Mm-hmm. I like the phone you picked up off the wall and you dialed the number and you got the person. Not all these damn phony calls that are coming in day and night and the phone that fits in the palm of your hand. And there's things you can do with it from here to China. And you get China a lot of the time, too, <laughs> as a matter you of do. fact. Dad, uh, I just want to put you at ease a little bit to say that even though you and I are, I guess, a generation and a half in age apart, if you listen to my podcast, you know that I technology do. and I are not friends at all. And no. you are in good company. You're not alone. I think technology, of course, it does have its pros. And Dr. Book and I have spoken of that plenty of times. But... I think you're doing a great job. The fact that you're even on the Zoom with us right now is remarkable. And I think you're handling it well. I do just want to mention, though, back to when we said all of that information is at our fingertips, no matter what, it's presses of a button. And even these younger kids, younger than us even, they think that they have the world in the palm of their hand because literally they do. But I just want to remind you, how do you think you would handle technology if we had what we have now? When I was a kid growing up, because Dr. Bo, I'll just retell a funny story. When I would get in trouble growing up, okay, part of my punishment, my dad would say, 
go upstairs and read the encyclopedia. <laughs> he would say, I don't care what volume, pull something out and open it up and don't come down here until you write a report. <laughs> so now, dad, what would, what do you think the punishment would be in a tech world now? How would I get in trouble? I have no idea because if the most technical thing today was the encyclopedia, I wouldn't even know how to handle that. I can't identify with all this technology. In my mind, I'll tell you what I'm comfortable with. I can text somebody. I can email somebody. If they care to return the call, if my phone bings, I'll know that they're calling me back. If it doesn't, I have no idea they're calling me back. I like to use, I forgot the, oh, Google. I ask Google a lot of questions, <laughs> but very often while I'm reading, now, right. I get words that I don't understand. and. Uh, I'll Google what what is the define such and such. How else has it helped me? Do you use it for directions when you're driving? Absolutely not. Not okay. So how do you find your way? I don't drive anymore. Oh well, there you go. That's the simplest way. (laughs) There you go. When you're 89 years old, you don't go too many places that you have to think twice about. That is true. Uh, No, you see, a doctor's appointment, or I go to the swimming pool every morning and exercise. Talking about people my age, if you want me to go on about this a little bit, my schedule is I get up early in the morning and I go to the, I live in a, in a gated community mm-hmm. and we have a group of maybe 30, 35 people who do water aerobics every single morning from nine till 10. It's an hour. An hour is too much for me. I do it for a half hour and then leave. When I leave and I'm friendly with most of the people in the pool. When I leave, I sit and talk to a group of people. We all have coffee. And I think you'll be, I think this might surprise you. Yes, what do you talk about? It used to be politics, but we're bored with politics. And what we're talking about now is it's so boring. This is even more boring. It's depressing. How many milligrams of this do you take? How many milligrams of that do you take? How many doctor's appointments do you have this month? How come you don't sleep and how many times do you get up during the night? About six months ago, I was invited by a group of men to have lunch with them every Wednesday. And uh, I said, yeah, nice guys. Why not? They'll pick me up and we'll have lunch and bring me home. I did it. And the entire lunch was devoted to that subject. Mm. And I said to myself, I can't do this. And what changed it was on the way home, they were driving, uh, we were driving and they changed the subject, and I'm almost embarrassed to tell you, they're all talking about where they're going to be buried. And oh, when wow. I heard that, and this should not surprise you, if you go and put yourself in a group of people who are in from 75 to 95, that's what you're going to hear. How many milligrams of gabapentin do you take to get rid of the pain? And how many times did you get up last night? And that's what happens. So, Dad, I want to interrupt you there because what a joyful conversation you have day in and day out. So to your point, though, earlier that I view you as someone who is a glass half full, and it's not to say that you haven't had your own trials and tribulations, okay? We all have, and you certainly, you know, the older you get, potentially the more that you have. But let's bring it back then. How do you, when you wake up in the morning, if those are topics and people that are bringing you down, how do you specifically stay up? How do you find your calm and your peace? And what brings you joy? Well, that very simply, I just say to myself, it could be a lot worse. Mm-hmm. Right? Okay. I'm up, I'm getting dressed. I don't need any help to get dressed. Fortunately, you left the walker off the screen. <laughs> when you talk about technical, that's my technical, my walker. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Right. I, I get my walker ready. I go into the kitchen, take my pills, mm-hmm. have a cup of coffee and start my day. It could be worse. I could be in an iron lung somewhere. God forbid this COVID thing is making everybody crazy. But I do what I have to do. I got my booster and I'm ready. So let me ask you this, Dad, staying positive. And for me, in our preparation, knowing that you were going to come on the show, I have to tell you that while I may not remember what I did yesterday, I had a flood of memories that were coming back to me from my childhood and the moments that we have had together, which obviously we don't have enough time for 40 podcasts to go through them all. But we're so lucky that we have these beautiful memories that we've shared. And I wonder, you retell so many stories from your childhood growing up in Newark, New Jersey, and the bonds that you had with your brother and your family, you know, the, the extended family and the, the kids in your neighborhood that became even your adult friends and whatnot. And I, when you talk about it, I find that you have a sense of calm and peace. And I wonder, do you have a favorite childhood memory, whether it's a smell? You know, I think of Grandma Silver. If I close my eyes, I smell the lamb stew she used to make. And my love for rainbow cookies currently, I think comes from, I always smelt marzipan cookies in her house. And I wonder, it's kind of a twofold question. You know, what about your childhood is the best and some of those great memories? And how have you carried that through now as an adult? Well, as best I can recall, it was very peaceful. My father was a quiet man. He had a very subtle sense of humor, nothing hysterical. My mother was really the boss. I have an older brother, as you know, their purpose, I think, was to make sure Alan and I grew up, went to college, and became something. They drilled that into our heads. They had limited education. They both went to grammar school, and they both went to high school, but I'm sure they didn't graduate. My mother probably went to work for her father, and my father became an electrician, a tradesman, and uh, he worked for the rest of his life or until he retired. But they made sure that we went to college. And my father knew enough to tell me, and I think I passed the same thing on to uh, five children. I tried to pass the same thing on to all of you guys. I don't want to hear you going to college to study literature because you come out and what are they going to call you? Doctor literature? No. You have to be something. You want to come out of college and you're going to be either a physician, a dentist, a lawyer, an accountant, something like that. It's a healing arts, I always lean to. If I'm getting off the subject, let me know. But my brother always wanted to be a dentist from a very early age. Why? I don't know. So my father said, if he's going to be a dentist, you're going to be a physician. And I said, all right, I'll be a physician. (laughs) Really just like that. But then I found that in order to be a physician, you had to go to college a few more years than, than to be a dentist. So I went to dental school, and I, and as I said before, I ended up loving it and spent the rest of my life loving it. Did but your brother become a dentist? He certainly did. For oh, a short okay. Time we were, he had a practice. I had a practice. And for a short time, uh, which worked out beautifully, we, had, we were partners in the third oh, wow. And yes, I was a dentist for 47 years. In mm-hmm. fact, the dentist who just bought my practice, not just. When, when she brought my practice, she begged me, Dr. Silver, when are you going to retire? It's enough already. Retire. She was with me five years. And I said, I promise you, I will sell you the practice when I retire. She called me the other day. She's so successful. She's negotiating 
to buy the building that we practiced in. That's how good she's doing. Wow. But anyway, now I'm going to give myself a pat on the back. She said, every good thing about the practice I attribute to you. You taught me everything I know. Oh, so wow. I said, never mind. You went to dental school for six years. <laughs> you wow. learned a lot there. But we got, we got along beautifully. Dr. Boca, I want to ask you a question. So sure. you've heard my dad speak for a couple minutes now on the way he was raised and you should study to be something and you are going to be something. And he mentioned that he tried to impart that on his children, all of us. And I'm going to ask you, I just want to back up to say this is around the part of the podcast where we want to protect Dr. Boca. This isn't real therapy. We're really just kicking the can down the road. And today the can is my dad uh, and his stories. And if he can shed some light and wisdom on all of us, then it's a day that that's a great day. But Dr. Boga, we do want to protect her license. So again, we're, we're just here to have some fun and it's not real therapy. But what I want to ask you is when my dad mentioned that he did say that to all of his kids, I'm here to tell you that that's no exaggeration. And I used to often, when I was a kid, go to my dad's office with him Mm-hmm. And I would be his little dental assistant. And we'd march into the different rooms. And to every patient, he would say, this is my daughter, Rachel. And she's going to grow up and she's going to become a dentist. And she's going to take over my practice. Oh, wow. And you know me long enough to know that I feel as though I grew up in a household that was incredibly goal-oriented. And mm-hmm. there were high expectations that were to be seeked. And my dad, obviously, is a role model extraordinaire. And I did want to become a dentist, not because I wanted to become a dentist. Because because my dad would say, Rachel, and to my siblings out there, I'm just going to say it. He said, I offered this practice to every single one of them. I said, all you have to do is go to college, go to dental school, you'll study And then the day that you graduate, I will hand you the keys and you will have a successful practice. And you know me well enough to know now, one of my shifts and my Mm hangups is, am I successful from a career standpoint? And Mm -hmm. I struggle with that. So I would go to the office with him and he would introduce me and he was so proud. And this is my daughter and she's going to be a dentist. And I would go into the lab and I would mix that crap up, dad, to (laughs) make the impressions. And and I would somehow, I was holding those cotton things of other people's blood. And there was one day that I was just like, I just don't think I can do this, but I don't want to disappoint my dad. So my question to you in our non-therapy therapy session here is... I don't want to blame having successful parents and wanting to always live up to their expectations as the out of like, oh, I'm never going to be good enough. But, you know, it's one thing if you have parents who like sucked and they never got anything right, that no matter what you do when you You become the adult, you look successful. You always look successful. Right. So can you speak a little bit and share with me and, and my dad and the listeners out there how hard it is to not live up, if you will? It is hard. I mean, I grew up in the same kind of household, hence I have a doctorate. And when I offered, and I think I spoke about this, when I've offered other ideas to my father about what I wanted to do, one being a primatologist and one being a party planner, he informed me that not on my life or his life, I guess, would he pay for me to do that. But when I called him to tell him I wanted a doctorate in clinical psychology, he was all over that like a fly on shit. So I do understand that. Look, I think that generation 
set high expectations because high expectations were placed on them and education was the most important thing to them. That being said, if you listen really closely to what your father said, he loved what he did, right? And so for him, being a dentist was the right choice and being successful through dentistry was the right choice. But it's more important to love. And I made that comment like, oh, that's what I tell people. It's important to love what you do more than what it is that you actually do because then you're going to enjoy it and most likely be better at it. So if you would have gone to be a dentist, being disgusted by it as it sounded like you were with the blood and all of that stuff, it was never going to feel fulfilling to you. And having your father be proud of you was still not going to be enough. Your father, from what I'm seeing in this dynamic, there is so much love, so much pride, even how he introduces you to people now at lunch that this is your his daughter. And, you know, and he's so proud of your podcast and he's so proud of your writing and he's so proud of the person you have become. And I think, and I'm going to ask your dad in a few minutes, you know, now that he's on this side of parenting, would he have done things differently? And would he have continued the same things? And does he see differences in parenting now? Because sometimes we do, and I've said this, we do the best we can do in that moment. So I think our parents were doing what they thought was the right thing and encouraging us to move forward with a path. But when we really look at it, what your dad has now said was he loved what he did. Sense of humor is really important. And he surrounds himself by people, right? You have his sense of humor. You surround yourself by a million people who gravitate towards you because of your creativity and your imagination and your ability to just be honest, which was another quality that your dad said. So I see you as a success. And I bet if I asked your dad, he would say you were a success as well. The reason why I raised my hand a few minutes ago was to agree with you a thousand percent, no matter what Rachel does, whether it's a job that she enjoys doing or a job that she's doing because she just has to do it in order to make a living, she will be very or is very, very successful at it. Very. And I'm so proud of her. She knows I'm proud of her. I light up whenever she walks into the room. She's dynamite. She's terrific. She's a winner. She's got to find something to do that she really loves to do, not that she has to do. And yeah. I just want to tip my, my dad's had a little bit to say that all of the time in my dad's office, because I, I, I have countless memories. Uh, one of the, the highlights for me in that waiting room, dad, I don't know if you remember, but you had these binders or these photo oh, yeah. albums, if you yeah. will. Yeah. And maybe that's how they did it before the days of technology where you could go on Google and you could ask for a reviews, right? Of restaurants exactly or doctors what or whatever. And it they were testimonials from your patients. Thank you for saying you're so proud of me. But as a little girl growing up, reading countless testimonial after testimonial of like, you know, Dr. God here, who like everyone... <laughs> and no one liked going to the dentist, right? That's like a known thing. Like everyone's petrified of the dentist. And here we are, patient after patient who just thought you were the living end. So bravo. Let me move forward. And I want to ask you back to your point, because I, I do think that the goal of finding joy and finding what you love and capitalizing on it, and, and that is so fulfilling and whatnot. I want to just ask you, I'm not naive enough to think that every day was a bed of roses. But one of the things that Dr. Boken and I talk about a lot now as an adult myself and being a provider for these kids and whatnot, 
In today's world, we call it like provider anxiety, probably because nowadays, and Dr. Boca, I mean, this is probably what keeps you in practice. There's like a named title for every little problem that we all have, right? Okay. But dad, I have to tell you that growing up, I never, ever, ever of all the memories, never have a memory of you stressing or complaining about work. And again, not to say, I'm, I know I'm not naive enough to think that that didn't happen. And I know you loved it. But from that provider standpoint, you had a gaggle of kids, you had a big overhead, you had a lot of expenses. Now, did you shield us from that? Or because again, back to, and we'll get into this parenting then versus now, but was adult responsibility so separate from what you showed your children? I was right out in the open with everything, to the best of my recollection, and that's the way I feel I was. I remember once when three of you were in college at the same time, and mom said, Howard, how are we going to do this? What? I said, we're going to do it. I'm going to get up in the morning, and I'm going to go to work, and it'll work out. It'll, and you go to work. You're making a nice salary. It'll work out. Let's not belabor it. It'll work out. And on top of that, Andrew once came to me, he wanted to know the same thing. I think it was shortly after he was married. How do you do that, Dad? You belong to a golf club and a beach club and you take a vacation with mom every year. And how do you do that from fixing teeth? I said, you fix teeth. That's the way you do it. I said, I have no answer. You get up in the morning and you go to work and you don't screw around. That's it. And I have no further answer. So I'm going to ask Dr. Boca then, in your practice and in what you see in our generation now, what do you think our generation, how do they answer that, Dr. Boca? Are we all just so busy being busy complaining and not just doing what needs to be done? I I think that's part of it. I think, though, again, parenting has changed a lot. And I was going to ask your dad about this, but what he sees. But what I see with parenting is things were just simpler back then right? And there wasn't instant gratification. There wasn't technology. There wasn't the mentality of being a helicopter parent or a snowplow parent, right? It just was the family unit. You go to work. These are your responsibilities. The kids would come home. They would do their homework. They would play outside. The weekends were together. Now our kids are running around. And that's not to say that we didn't play sports and we didn't do all of those things. But there was still an appreciation for family time. And there was still an appreciation there is no appreciation anymore. And I think we overschedule ourselves with things like technology. You can be on call 24-7. And I know as doctors, they always had different ways of being you know, emergency numbers and things like that. But for the most part, our um, work lives didn't leak into our every minute of everyday lives. And our children weren't as overscheduled as they are now. So I think now people don't appreciate. I think people expect things. And I think people enjoy commiserating with other people about shit because it connects them to people. And even we want to be connected to people, even if we're not connected to people on joyous things, we just want to be connected. And I think people are miserable these days. I do. I don't think things are... We created that. Exactly. We created this. And we did. Parents. Did the children create this dilemma or did the parents create it? If you listen to my podcast, you know where I always go with this. It's always back to the parents. Yes. Dad, what do you think? You know, I know firsthand growing up with you, there was a definitive line between we are the parents, you are the children, Absolutely. you do as I say. End of story. We have a joke that, um, do you remember, Dad, when I, when I was growing up, 
we would watch TV at night. You'd allow us. I know I've spoken to the I wasn't even allowed to watch television during the week. And over the years, Dad, you've become, I don't know if just not working anymore and slowing down and living in Florida. But, you know, growing up, your presence, you had a formidable presence. The car would come into the driveway. We'd hear that diesel engine going and we'd be like, oh my God, turn the TV off because if dad puts his hand uh, on top, we're in trouble. I think you're exaggerating. No, I'm not. Those are my memories. And I remember too that the rules were what the rules were. You set the rules and that was that. At night, if you did let us watch TV, and this is when we were little kids, okay? You would open up the TV guide. Everyone out there remember yep. the actual TV guide that Loved would come it. in the mail. And dad, you would open it up and you'd take your finger and you'd, you'd peruse around and you'd say, hmm, let, let's see what's on right now. Oh, I see. There it is. And we'd get all jacked up and we, we never got the joke. We always thought that there was going to be something great to watch. And do you remember what your tagline was? No. What would, you would say, oh, what, do you remember? You go ahead. I think I you, do. But I'm you'd not say, sure. here's what's on. You'd say, it is now bedtime. Bedtime. <laughs> and then you'd, and I, we'd be like disappointed. Oh, oh my God, oh. we wanted to stay up and watch. And, and I guess it brings me to my question that we weren't friends growing up. No. Parents were parents and the kids were kids. And it was. You do what I say. Then there's a period at the end of the sentence. There isn't like, yeah, but wait, no. And, you right. know, there was no negotiation and there was respect. That's the two things that I think. Well, but Rachel's making it sound like she was living in a jail. Oh, no, I, I, I don't mean it like that. Well, with the exception of in the winter, you threw us outside and said, don't somebody come in until you the, shovel this into the driveway. Had to, somebody <laughs> had to do it. So wait, I just want us all to know that if I was having this interview with my parents, yeah. I'd be saying the exact same thing. <laughs> we would hear the car, the garage door would go up. We would grab everything, run it upstairs. We would know that as soon as the dinner was served, whatever we were watching on TV, my dad was going to come in and switch it to the new McNeil Air News Hour, yeah, yeah. right? Where did you grow up? Yeah. I grew up in Northern Jersey. Whereabouts? Uh, in Bergen County. Oh, I yeah. Have a so, lot of relatives there. Yeah. So, I mean, I grew up similarly, and I would never speak to my parents the way that children speak to their parents. And I will add in there unpolishedly how my children attempt to speak to me as well. Uh Yeah. So something has significantly changed in the boundaries and the respect that our children have and we as parents allow our children to cross in our generation. Mm -hmm. And dad, you know, there's a lot of time. Listen, my kids are now what? Almost 14 and almost 16 years old. And you were so blessed that you are as close with them as you are and you've seen how we've raised them. And for the most part, you know, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, they're pretty good kids. But there have been plenty of times that you have said to me, and this is one of your lines, you're like, Rachel, I know it's none of my business, (laughs) (laughs) but then you get the butt and then you comment. I'm so lucky that I have your commentary. And guess what? I know exactly what you're going to say before it comes out of your mouth because I grew up under your roof and I see the differences now, the way that I'm raising my own kids, which I think I have my own internal struggle because again, you are the product of your own environment and then you make your own environment. And I guess you have to try to pull out the good stuff, the stuff that you know that sticks and try to attach it to the next generation. That's right. Honesty and humor. Yes, those are the two things that you said. And I think that those are two great things 
as qualities that we should always instill in ourselves and other people. Rachel, what is so interesting about what you say is you almost just said we're going to find the middle ground, right? Of the best of what we had. (laughs) So uh, we can find the middle ground with you eventually. It's not extremes. But to my point, what I was going to make about the point was that when we grow up in those homes where it feels more authoritative, even though it's not, okay, we swing our pendulum to the other side. So we want to be able to give, we don't want our children to feel that anxiety that we felt when the garage door goes up, right? right? So we try to be more friendly with our children and we are more communicative and we sit down and we talk about things that the boundaries get pushed, more about sex, more about religion, more about socio-cultural things that are going on, things that I never spoke to my parents about. I mean, or if we did, we just like barely hit the surface. So. I think that we've, as a generation, have, I think also that we grew up as latchkey kids for a lot of us. And so we want to be ever present for our kids as much as we can. We want to be able to do as much as we can for our kids. And so we swing the pendulum all the way in the other direction. And I think, Rachel, what you said is finding that middle ground where you take the best of it and attach it is the most important thing that we can do as parents today. Yeah, good point. Very well taken. Dad, I want to ask you a question. We might have touched on it a little bit, but indulge me, please. We talked about that, sure, in life, everyone has had some bumps in the road. And that, again, is if it doesn't kill you, that's what makes you stronger. I wonder, was there or is there, maybe we haven't even gotten to it yet, but can you point to a particular period in your life where you feel like you really did hit your stride? be it your professional life, your personal life, your interests, what you pursued outside of the office or at home, your hobbies. What part of your life do you feel really is the most fulfilled? If, if you can speak to that a little bit. I think when I reached a point in my life when I knew I had the most wonderful wife in the world and who also served as a terrific mother to you kids. And what I did from uh, 7.30 in the morning to 4 in the afternoon was going smoothly. And what was going on in the evening was going smoothly. We were all getting along. We did the things we enjoyed doing. We shared a lot of the same interests. Sure, there was a point. I can't pinpoint and say exactly when it was, but there were many years. And I had plenty, as you know, it's no secret, I had plenty of years to compare that to where there was a lot of unhappiness in my life. I don't have to tell you. Well, let's at least, and we don't have to get into it, but at least for the listeners, your marriage to mom, this was your second marriage. So marriage to Jane was my second marriage. I got married the first time at a very, very young age to a girl who was 17 years old. So we decided we'll have children. I guess I was married 10 years. That was the end of it. I was single for a couple of years. And then I met Jane. And one thing led to another after that. And things have been good since then. I have no complaints whatsoever. I'm thrilled. I'm happy. I haven't seen her since nine o'clock this morning. We're married 51 years. I miss her. I love that. I miss her. We have our anniversary in another month. Rachel and I went out and bought an anniversary card this afternoon and gave great thought to what we're going to get her as a gift. So what I'm hearing is that not only a sense of humor and honesty, but finding the right companion and yes. person in your life is really the secret to having the the happiness and the yeah, contentment right. and the joy that you have. I love I, that. Yeah, that's that's the way I would nail it down. You've had so many wonderful things over 50 years that you've been married. Yes. I'm going to ask you this question that Rachel and I hope you, if the answer is the other one, I hope you don't get offended. But 
Which is better, being a parent or a grandparent? Ah, well, you thought which is better or which is easier? Well, you answer. Being easier is being a grandparent. Oh, of course. I could walk out of here later on today and Rachel has to do the dishes. Being a grandparent is just fun. You're going to visit and uh, being a parent, that's not easy. When no. In our house, when the phone would ring after nine o'clock at night, my wife would look at me and we'd say, uh-oh, what's wrong? One of the kids is calling. It's after nine. Now, being a parent is difficult. It is. Yeah. It's very you hard. It comes natural and you got to look for the goods in it. But a grandparent, Christ, I remember my wife's parents would come and visit us every Sunday, practically. And we would, they would play around with the kids and take them on the boardwalk in Asbury Park and do fun things with them. And at five o'clock in the afternoon, I could buy, see you next week. That, mm-hmm. that was, it was all fun, fun and games for grandparents. So dad, I want to ask you something. So you said you remember when you were raising us and grandma and grandpa would come visit and yeah. that was what they did historically every Sunday. Yeah. To me, that's a ritual. That's part of our family dynamic and the okay. things that we do consistently. Okay. Are there any of our other rituals or or mantras or the way that you define what your internal cloth is that's so important to pass down to myself and of course my kids. But even now, look, we're out there now in the podcast world. What is so valuable that you think as a ritual or a mantra that you think is important to share? Well, I think you got to think twice before you make any major decision. I think that's very important. You got to think about, if I make that decision, is it going to affect my life for a day, a week, a month, or the rest of my life. You have that future to think about. Fortunately, when I got married the second time, I didn't have to think about that as much. When you get married the second time now, or if you do, I don't know, as much as I want to interfere with that, believe me. (laughs) (laughs) Believe me. If you ever gave me permission to ask a few questions, I would, but God forbid. Well, see what happens. It's coming. When I was growing up, you were in charge. Now I'm in charge. So that's off limits. That's right. Not off limits. Things change. Yeah. You're in charge. Yeah. Yeah. You're definitely. But what were you going to say? What are you saying? That when you're making big decisions or the older you get, I don't know where you were going. There aren't that many decisions left to make. What what decisions are there left to make? Do I want to go away for a weekend uh, this winter or just stay home or? Would you want to go to a restaurant tomorrow night or stay home? Those decisions are, have been made already. Do we want to uh, send help the kids with this part of their home or uh, help them with tuitions or camp or whatever? Well, that, those are all made already. Now it's uh, what's good for the kids? What's good for you? You have to start thinking about things like that. You should have been already. When you get married the first time, you got to think it through. If you get married the second time, you got to think it through 10 times more. You're not going to have, I assume you don't think about children when you're in your middle age, but still, it's something <laughs> to think about. Well, you, you don't want to be, you don't want to be a grandparent. you have to be reminded that you're a middle ager. <laughs> she reminds right. herself every day, don't, don't you worry. worry? And if she doesn't, I will. <laughs> so I have, so what I'm hearing is, that, you know, you have to think about the long-term consequences and the decisions, yes, but are there, yes, yes. are there other big lessons that you've learned over the years that you think are really important to impart for on Rachel or on our listeners or anybody else? Like those, those little things that if only I had known then, 
what I know now and that you wouldn't want anybody else to not have that little tidbit of wisdom now. Just be honest to yourself. That's all. You'll know when you'll know if you're pushing the pushing it if it's not honest. Be comfortable with yourself. I think that in my opinion, that's a very important thing. Be honest with yourself. I love it. I love it. Dad, you've been so great. And I love that you're taking one for the team here. And I want to thank you. I want to wrap up. And I think I actually know the answer to it, but I'm going to ask it anyway. It's been said, right? Whether you read books or you see it in your daily life, that all we have is this very moment right now. The past is the past. The future is not promised. It's right now. And there's really no use over crying over spilt milk, right? Why worry about something that may not happen or if it already happened? So I'm assuming that not only do you subscribe to that ideology, but that is your whole mantra, right? That it's right now. And and you said earlier, you don't have any regrets, right? Right, Right. correct, correct. I'm not disappointed about anything and I'm comfortable with things. Please with things. I pray every day for my health, for everybody's health. You know, you have no idea how that's on the mind of people my age to be well, mm-hmm. to be well, to keep going on. So, bringing it all full circle, being honest and having a sense of humor, living in the moment, not having any regrets is what keeps you young. What keeps your mind and pencil sharpened? What keeps you wanting to wake up every morning? And yeah, you don't go to an office every day and you're not practicing work, but you're practicing life. Exactly. That's right. That was beautiful, Rachel. I mean, I, I could not have summarized that any better. But, you know, it's so rare to have an opportunity to see a daughter and a father together in this kind of platform that I've had the opportunity to see. Because usually when they come into my office, There's usually major problems that we're working through, right? So to see that the love that you guys have, but Dr. Silver, to see your appreciation and your zest still for life and the conscious decision that you are making every single day to choose happiness, to choose to live, to choose your children and your grandchildren. I mean, these are choices that we have to make. I think from the day we're born to the day we become these great, great, great grandparents, we have to make choices that we are going to make the best of the situations in front of us because like Rachel said, we can't look behind us and we can't look um, ahead of us. We just have to be in the moment. And I just think it is so beautiful to see you guys and the relationship that you have. And to I thank you both to allow me to be a fly on the wall, so to speak, and to be part of this because it is so beautiful. And I can see why you two have a love fest for one another. You have raised an incredibly strong, confident, capable woman in your daughter. And you came from such good stock, Rachel. And I hope that I can be as half as good a parent as it sounds like you have been, Dr. Silver, and your wife has been. So thank you very, very much. I appreciate your kind words. And I wish you the very, very best. Thank and you. Of course, Rachel knows what I wish for her. Of course. The, very the worst, best. Rachel. The worst. He wishes the worst for you. <laughs> <laughs> this program that you have, I think you, you could do so much with it. I don't want to get into that. But you know how I feel, Rachel. You got to make a deposit at the end of the week. So you do as much as you can all week long in order to make that deposit. Okay? Absolutely. And by deposit, I think that goes in a lot of different columns. A financial deposit, an emotional deposit, a spiritual deposit. Spread joy. Do what makes you feel good. And it shines through in in all that you do. 
and be Correct. true to yourself. And be true to yourself. Be true yep. to yourself. And laugh every day. Find something funny. Even if it's not funny, find something funny. And nothing feels better than laughing. Nothing feels better than laughing with my own dad and Dr. Boca. And dad, I have to just tell you this truly from... I, I know Dr. Boca said I, I, it's not selfish, but I do feel that this has been such a gift to me to have you here with us on Unpolished Therapy. And I treasure our time. I treasure you. Dr. Boca, thank you for indulging both of us and having thank my you. dear old dad on with us today. Thank you both very, very much. I appreciate it. To the listeners out there, thank you for spending time with the three of us this morning. We will be back next week on the corner of Audacity and Advice, where our wheels and potentially yours get spun upside down. If you have questions or comments or concerns, I think you know how to find us at Unpolished Therapy on Facebook and Instagram, at Untherapy on Twitter. And you can always email us at unpolishedtherapy at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. And of course, we will be back next week. Dr. Boca, on behalf of you and I, and of course, Dr. Silver, it's been one big hour of doctors and myself. Thank you all. We'll be back next week. This is Rachel Silver Cohen for Unpolished Therapy. Great sesh, girls. Hey, everyone, like what you heard? Then don't miss out on what comes next. Subscribe now and please give the girls a five-star rating. Learn more at www.unpolishedtherapy.com. Find and like them on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll see you next week when Rachel Silvercone and Dr. Boca ditch the couch, grab the mic, and break down all the wreckage. <laughs> <laughs>